Then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Thank you, Val. Just after the service this morning, uh, Martin and I were chatting out in the concourse. We were looking at the Louvre, where it says, Keep the faith, endure hardship, Alan Esam is preaching. (laughs) It rather appealed to our sense of humour. I hope yours too. Just remember, Martin, you'll be stood up here next week. Uh, sadly, I won't be here to hear you. Um, I shall be uh, with our brothers and sisters in Romania, uh, and I'm sure you'd want me to take uh, greetings from here back to them there. Just before uh, we begin, let's just uh, come to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we pray that you would be seen here this evening. Pray that uh, it would be nothing of myself It would be you speaking through me, you that would be heard speaking, and that you would teach us what you need to teach us about how we should endure for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So this was Paul's charge to Timothy. The things you've heard, I'm sorry, that screen's not on. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering. It's always been the pattern for God's people that alongside the blessings of being chosen by God, there will be hardship or suffering. We see it in the Old Testament in people like Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt because of his dreams and his technicolor coat. 
We see it in Daniel in the lion's den. And we see it in David who was persecuted by Saul. Do you notice that we remember and we identify with these people because of the hardships that they suffered? In the New Testament, we see the ultimate example, both of the blessings of being chosen by God and of the hardship and suffering in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that pattern of blessing and suffering continues throughout the book of Acts, the account of the early church. Indeed, there's often a direct correlation between hardship and suffering and growth in the early church. Why don't we see the church in Western Europe growing as it does in the East, in Asia? I think the answer is obvious. We don't experience hardship or suffering in the way that Christians do in countries ruled by a Muslim or other totalitarian regime. Ephesus, which is where Timothy was as Paul was writing to him, was a similarly hostile environment. And into that environment, Paul says to Timothy, there's two things that you've got to do. First, find reliable people who will continue to teach the gospel. And the second, endure hardship. So I guess the challenge for us this evening is to apply Paul's instructions to Timothy in first century Ephesus into 21st century Western Europe here in Long Crendon. So first, Paul said to Timothy, find reliable people who will continue to teach the gospel and be ready to suffer hardship. And Paul gives Timothy and us quite detailed descriptions of the sort of role models of reliable people that should be entrusted with the work of teaching others the gospel. He says there are people who should be focused, disciplined, and who show perseverance. Now, just before you assume that this is a job description for the pastors and switch off, because I'm only speaking to Neil, Mark, and Wellesley, just take a look back to chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. In other words, Timothy was first taught the gospel at home by his grandmother and his mother. Teaching the gospel in the family setting requires focus, discipline and perseverance. And the same can be said for, in varying degrees for school, college, university, the workplace, the school gate, the gym, the tennis, the bowls club, the street where you live. Have I missed anybody out? 
So Paul's advice for Timothy isn't just for pastors. It's for all of us who teach the gospel to others in whatever context, both to those who are already Christians and to those who aren't yet Christians. So let's look at the role models that Paul gives us as examples to follow. First, verse 4, the soldier. Paul says we should be focused, like a soldier, on pleasing our commanding officer. For example, a soldier on patrol with his unit isn't going to be distracted by civilians who are going about their business. Instead, he will be focused on the task given to him to do by his commanding officer. How focused am I? How focused are you on our commanding officer's great commission to teach the gospel? Or do we allow ourselves to be distracted? And actually, to what extent do we welcome those distractions as ways to avoid the difficulties and the challenges, the hardships and sufferings that go with trying to share the gospel with others? Being known as a Christian by those around you, especially trying to teach them the gospel, can mean enduring hardship and suffering. Secondly, Paul says we should be like an athlete in verse 5. An athlete has to keep to the rules of her sport, both in training and in competition. We too must be disciplined. For an athlete, training takes time and effort. There's no shortcuts. Early nights take discipline. Sleeping in in the morning isn't an option. Performance-enhancing drugs aren't acceptable. The ladies had the benefit of a talk yesterday morning from Debbie Flood, the Olympic oarswoman. There's a short video that I'd like us to watch of her talking about the perseverance it takes to be an Olympic medalist. Full-time athlete uh, environment, it's, it's a tough place to be, you know, you are, you're tired all the time pretty much, you training day in, day out through the wind, the hail, the rain, the snow, the sunshine of course, uh, and there are days where you would, you would rather have a lie-in, you would rather um, just stay in bed and <laughs> have a rest, but you know, a big part of my motivation was to, um, to do well and to represent my country and to win medals. But actually, my main motivation was the fact that you know, God gave me those abilities and talents and opportunities um, in my sport and to be in that place and very privileged place to be. And I wanted to honour Him with that ability. And you know, every gift, every good gift is from God. So I wanted to be able to you know, give Him it back as well in in how I trained, in how I raced, uh, in my attitude. So that was a, definitely a, a big motivation in. Um, persevering in my sport and, and learning how to <laughs> endure through those challenges. Debbie talks about persevering in her sport and learning how to endure through her, her challenges. 
And she also speaks about honouring God with how she used the gifts that God had given her. Well, God has given us all the gift of the gospel. Do we honour God in how we teach the gospel to others? How disciplined are we in getting the training that we need to be able to teach the gospel to others? Do we recognise that we need training? Do we set time aside for personal study, for, for training workshops and for seminars? Do we prioritise church time in our busy diaries? In real terms, how, how severe would be the hardship or the suffering to reorganise our priorities so that we saw a little less TV or spent a little less time on social media? Then Paul talks about the farmer in verse 6. Paul says we should be like a hard-working farmer. The hard-working farmer who perseveres through whatever hardships or sufferings come his way. I don't know much about being a farmer, so I'm going to let the screen talk again. I'm very conscious that the hardships and sufferings I've experienced are nothing compared to the farming community and the other examples that Paul has used or indeed by people here, or by people in countries ruled by a Muslim or other totalitarian regime. But whatever our hardships and sufferings, Paul makes it clear that there will be a positive and beneficial outcome. The soldier will please his commanding officer. The athlete will receive the victor's crown. The farmer will be the first to receive a share of the crops. And to encourage Timothy and, and to encourage us to endure suffering and hardship, whatever our circumstance or experience, Paul reminds us of the sufferings of Jesus Christ in verse 8 and his own sufferings in verses 9 and 10. And he assures us that if we endure whatever our own hardships and sufferings are, we will live and reign with Christ in heaven. So in verse 8, he reminds us that Jesus endured hardship before he entered heaven. Jesus is the descendant promised to David. Throughout the Gospels, we read about the hardships Jesus Christ endured during his lifetime as he taught the Gospel. And we read about the dreadful way he suffered and died. And Paul says that it's through Christ's death that we obtain salvation and eternal glory. And Paul knows that Christ can do this for us because he's already been raised from the dead. And Paul has seen the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. He was writing from first-hand experience.
Following his encounter with the risen Christ and his conversion on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 8, most of the rest of the book of Acts is taken up with Paul's missionary journeys. Paul fulfilled our great, our commanding officer's great commission to teach the gospel. He taught it first to the Jews in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, before going to the ends of the earth to teach it to the Gentiles. Paul's particular ministry was to teach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's why in verse 8, as well as in other places, Paul talks about his gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul summarizes the sufferings and the hardships that he has experienced on his missionary journeys, which are recorded in Acts. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Once again, I'm challenged by the extent of my sufferings and hardships. Indeed, even as he's writing to Timothy, Paul is in Rome, in jail, and chained like a criminal. Why did Paul put up with such suffering and hardship? Well, in verse 10, he says he does it so that people can be saved and enter heaven. Being saved, becoming a Christian, is about dying. The old Paul died when he met Christ on the Damascus Road. Paul recognized that what Jesus had taught about himself was true. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He did die in the place of Paul and everyone who will believe in him. Those who Paul calls the elect in verse 10. And in verse 11, Paul says, If we have believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died for us, the old us dies too. In place of our old self, Jesus Christ gives us a new life in him and with him. And in this new life that Jesus Christ gives us, we find the will and the desire to embrace his values and his economy. 
we will find the will and the desire to endure the sufferings and hardships of the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, the Apostle Paul, and even Jesus Christ himself. And in verse 12, Paul promises that if we endure suffering and hardship, we can look forward to living and ruling in heaven with Jesus. Paul knows for some that will be hard. In verse 13, he assures us that Jesus will always remain faithful once we've put our faith in him. Even if our faith wavers and looks more like faithlessness, Jesus Christ knows that he died for each of us. Each person, individually, by name. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? (laughs) So, as he's died in your place and in my place, he's not now going to disown what he did. But there's a warning here too in the second half of verse 12. There is a difference between faith that wavers and looks like faithfulness and disowning Christ Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, whoever is not with me is against me. There's no neutrality where faith is concerned. You either believe something or you don't believe something. You either believe that Christ died for you and so you endeavour to live to the best of your ability in the light of that through whatever sufferings and hardships you must endure. And Christ honours that endeavour. Or you disown the belief that Christ died for you. And Christ's promise is that he will disown you. That's a sobering thought. And that's what motivated Paul to put up with such suffering and hardship. So that he could teach people his gospel. So that they could be saved and enter heaven. And Paul assures us that if we endure in the new life that Jesus Christ gives us, we will find the love and the desire to endure whatever our own hardships and sufferings are. Because we know that we will live and reign with Christ in heaven. Going back to my first point, teaching the gospel and being ready to suffer hardship. It doesn't sound like a very uh, motivational job spec for Timothy and the others in Ephesus that he was to entrust the gospel to. You'd probably want to challenge Paul and ask, how did it go before you'd be too keen to embrace a similar strategy yourself? Well, 
Here's the report that Jesus commands John to write down to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. To the church at Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Not a bad commendation from our commanding officer, is it? You'd want to be part of this church? But read on. It's not as good as it seems at first. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Does this describe us in our 21st century Western European context here in Long Crendon? Is this why some of us are finding it difficult to relate to Paul's instruction to join with him in suffering and hardship? Is this why the church in Western Europe isn't growing? Suffering and enduring hardship was the normal experience of the early church as it grew. Suffering and enduring hardship is the normal experience of the church as it grows today in countries ruled by a Muslim or other totalitarian regime. Now, we need to be careful what we pray for. But if we truly want to see the church grow here in Long Crendon and in the Western world, we need to think through what suffering and enduring hardship means for us in practice. Perhaps we do need to start small. Perhaps we do need to begin by reorganising our priorities so that we endure the hardship of seeing a little less TV or spending a little less time on social media. Then perhaps we will have the time to prepare and to teach the gospel to others, both Christians and those who aren't yet Christians. How focused are we, like a soldier, on pleasing our commanding officer, Jesus Christ? How disciplined are we, like an athlete, in our training to teach the gospel to others? Or how hard-working are we, like the farmer, when it comes to prioritising church time in our busy diaries? Perhaps there are bigger things that we need to think through too. What could, what would, what should suffering and enduring hardship 
for the sake of the gospel look like for you and for me?